Hello and welcome to another episode of Triathlon Science presented by Trimechanics Coaching. Today's episode is going to be another bit of a focus around what I was talking about in the last episode, which is this idea of habituation uh, versus adaptation, where it kind of fits in a little bit more detail around the sessions that you might do, where the session or the intensity um, isn't actually everything, whether it's um, there's other parts of the session that may mean that a, a certain intensity might sometimes fall into the habituation kind of acclimation side where there are sometimes then falls into the adaptation side knowing when to put these in um, when you might want to use them but also understanding what you're essentially trying to get out of it so first things first what coffee are we having this morning we've got a really really special coffee this morning so this is so it's into to coffee um, that gets coffee from a roaster um, may have heard of something called honey process which is um, where the the beans are so the the coffee cherries are um, essentially washed off, um, removed, like removed from the um, having that kind of the coffee bean inside, and that some of the kind of skin is left on as it kind of ferments, basically as they dry in the sun. And what that does is it gives the beans this um, this sweeter flavour because the sugars from the outside from the pulp get kind of pulled into the uh, the coffee bean itself, but also uh, the kind of fermented a little bit as well. So the flavours that you get through are really kind of um, a lot of alcoholic type fermented flavours um, and those kind of things. So this is a really special Colombian red bourbon honey process that I was bought for Christmas. Um, so it's absolutely delicious. Perfect in a little bit of milk. You get those fruity flavours through with a nice creaminess of the milk. So enough about the coffee. On to the uh, triathlon side of things. That is actually the reason that you're listening to this podcast. So I talked a little bit in the last episode about this idea of, of kind of you've got one side of the coin, you've got habituation, acclimation in terms of training. You're trying to essentially get the body used to the stimulus or used to the stress that you are going to need it to deal with in order to perform. And then you've got the other side, you've got the kind of adaptation side, which is where you are pushing that stress beyond what your body can cope with in order to disturb homeostasis so that idea of balance within the body in order to promote adaptation processes now i mentioned in the last episode a little bit how the problem with all of this the problem with all these ideas is they are only ideas and the reason they're only ideas and theories is they're extremely hard to test and dial in there's been a lot of research recently particularly around things like mitochondria looking at um, the expression of things like mitochondrial proteins so they do a, a load of training and then they measure with um, essentially the electrophoresis, which is looking for proteins. And they measure the amounts of certain proteins uh, involved in things like gene expression, like PGC1-alpha, um, things like AMPK, which is a protein involved in um, cell signaling of energy and all these things. And I remember, I think the best way, people, the best person I think to describe this is a guy called John Hawley. So always, you've got to follow these certain people around almost because they do fantastic research. You've got two people in this field, John Hawley and David Bishop. David Bishop's doing the stuff around mitochondria, really interesting stuff, particularly around things like faster training, mostly twice a day training is a lot of his focus. And John Hawley's doing the stuff on the ground. He's doing the stuff with the athletes, often looking at this stuff and then measuring it. And he calls it kind of alphabet soup because it is. It's almost incomprehensible to people that don't know what they're looking for. The problem with it, as he's always said, is it's all very well to measure these changes in genes, 
but often they don't necessarily measure any change in performance, which is obviously what we're looking for. But it's partly because we don't know whether we're looking at the right things. We don't know whether having an increased expression of certain genes actually leads to a change that then leads to a change that then leads to a change that at the end of it causes you to increase performance. Performance is so multifactorial that we don't exactly know. Now, that, this is the, on the adaptation side that we're thinking about what can we do to try and force a change? This is, off, I think, often why we sometimes gravitate and the proponents of the polarised model will say this is an error moving towards the kind of threshold model. Because working, if you're a time trialist and a triathlete, working around threshold and sweet spot generally increases performance in the short to medium term. It sometimes, for some people, can increase performance over a long period of time. But the idea behind it is that you may be creating a novel stimulus, and I'll mention that how and why in a second, but the key thing is, is you are increasing your acclimation, your habituation to that dull kind of intensity that is a bit uncomfortable that you have to deal with for a long period of time, which is what time trialing is, what hill climbing is, what all of these things are. Almost every, almost every um, element of whether it's time trialing, triathlon, even a lot of road racing, that comes down to your ability to endure an uncomfortably hard effort for an uncomfortably long period of time. And that is the critical thing, is that actually we talk a lot about things like VO2 max. We talk a lot about, you know, increasing your neuromuscular power, all these different elements that might be important for things like sprinting. But at the end of the day, actually, VO2 max definitely for triathlon probably is not the most important element. It's definitely over-focused. Because it's actually more likely to be your the percentage of your VO2 max that you can hold. It's not your maximal aerobic capacity because that, that only gets you kind of, you know, three, five minutes of effort at full-on um, intensity. And actually, the more important things is whether you've got high kind of lactate tolerance, so the psychological elements, all the other bits that mean that you can push as hard as you can push for as long as you need to push for. Because most events are going to be between 20, you know, if you're a time trialist, you know, 20 minutes to an hour to two hours to four hours. Triathlon, half an hour, the very minimum if you were doing a super, super sprint to an hour to two hours for Olympic to four hours to eight to 10 hours to 15 hours. You know, it's all about endurance. So that being on the habituation acclimation side often promotes that shorter term, medium term. And that might be enough. I've often said that if I was training people, most of well, the way that I train a lot of kind of age group athletes actually fits more into that side of things, mostly because it, de- it obviously depends on the athlete, but often they are looking for those short and medium term goals. And I, it's a balance. Do you improve the, what they can do now over the next couple of years where they can still be interested, where they're still going to have potentially a life to be able to deal with it, particularly if they're getting towards the point of things like having kids? Or do you go for the, right, this is the long game. We're going to go for adaptations. We're going to go for changes over a long period of time. And in five years' time, we may have hit on all the right things to make you the athlete that we wanted you to, to make you. And this is the problem with the adaptation side. We don't know. We don't actually know. We don't know, by, we don't know what your genetics might do. You, and this is why this whole concept of non-responders there's no, I don't believe there's any such thing as non-responders. There's people that just haven't found what is, a, what is their exercise stimulus because it is different. And the problem is, is that without 
intensive lab testing combined with a sports scientist, someone that can really read it, all the details, multiple lab sessions, different tests, things that, you know, this isn't just going and getting a VO2 max test. That's one part of the puzzle. So there's lots of different elements that might mean that we never discover exactly what are those elements that we need to improve. So a lot of people fall into that side of things. But what do you do if you can't have that? So what and how does it work in terms of those two different elements of training? So I mentioned I was going to talk about the um, being on the adaptation or the habituation side that then becomes the adaptation side. So this is where you do things like sweet spot, but for a really long period of time. So that's the key thing is that habituation can be, so let's say you are a 25 mile time trialist. Your habituation and your, or your acclimation might be learning to, or training your body to put out your functional threshold, what is your actual functional threshold, dealing with it and putting it out for 50 minutes. Well, if you did certain things like sweet spot, you know, doing maybe sweet spot building up to that, that was your, you know, that's your, you gradually acclimating just below that threshold point, getting your body used to that stimulus, gradually building. But what if you were to do that sweet spot, but do it for two hours? You might get into the point now where you're really starting to fatigue. You're having to keep pushing a relatively high intensity for a really long period of time. And you're starting to fatigue, you're, the metabolism side of things is coming in, so you're needing to refuel. This is where you might push something that became or started off as habituation into adaptation. So adaptation is often, again, it's just that point where you go beyond your homeostasis, the point of comfort, whether it is intensity by doing short, hard stuff, whether it is duration by doing longer stuff, whether it is that is medium um, duration, medium intensity, what I just mentioned, whether that is long duration, lower intensity, like a six, five or six, seven hour bike ride. Okay, so thinking about these in terms of training, what do you do? How do you fit these in? Well, I think you can go through periods. I think the best way of going is going through periods of alternating between the two. The reason, the rationale I think for that is because I think it's not necessarily a good idea to stay in one area for a while. But I also think that you, the, what you have to try and do is you have to spend a bit of time forcing an adaptational change through a bit of high intensity work combined with some lower intensity stuff fitting around it. If you're an aging athlete, I don't think that's that, that, that bit isn't that important unless you are going to do the, the real adjunct, which is the longer, really longer, low intensity stuff. If you're not doing that, then actually, you, you know, there is some evidence that maybe you just stick with the high intensity stuff. I know that sounds probably counter to what a lot of people say. And yeah, I think getting on the bike for an hour and spinning your legs is definitely better than doing nothing, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, that short high intensity stuff is what's driving the adaptation. That can add it into a, something that's also driving the adaptation by doing a really long, relatively easy bike ride. But it's, we're talking long. We're talking potentially somewhere between three and six or seven hours, depending on your training status. So there's those, those, that time period. And then when you hit a point, maybe, I, I like to kind of cycle maybe a month of that. So at the most, a kind of month where you go through this phase where you're building blocks in. I like kind of block training for VO2 max. I'm going to do a little episode about why I like a bit of block training for VO2 max, what it actually is. So don't get too hung up on that now. It's basically doing back-to-back type days and sessions where you are continuing to overload rather than going easy, hard, easy, hard. Um, But then you move in to that kind of, so you take that. So you take that, you've pushed 
your your aerobic um, adaptations as hard as you you feel like you can, then you start then you work down a little bit. You work into that that kind of basically you realize those adaptations. So you kind of work around this. So I'm really focusing on on this is kind of time trialists, triathletes, steady state athletes. We're not really looking at road racing side of things because that definitely falls in a different category. Because in that case, your acclimation might be more short burst, five minute effort, these kind of things, and variability as opposed to um, steady state. So you take, you work in that adaptation maybe a month and then you work back and then you do some sweet spot stuff for maybe a few weeks or a month. And then you have a bit of, maybe a little bit of downtime if you feel like you need it, but then you can work back through it again. And this alternation, like alternating between these two areas is I think preferable to the usual model, which is let's say off season, you're doing all the adaptation, then you're working more specifically to lead up to races. Because that then obviously put you in this situation of trying to peak towards that as opposed to having this continual up and down and over improvement over the whole year regardless of races but also often people they go through that adaptation phase and they stagnate a little bit partly because they they're they're adapting they're pushing but they're not actually so they're pushing their their kind of top end aerobic engine but they're not then pushing their ability to hold that aerobic power for a long time. So I think that diminishes. So that's what you get from the kind of sweet spot threshold stuff. I think that then diminishes the benefits that you might get. I think if you just do high intensity all the time, yeah, you'll get good at doing the short, sharp, hard stuff and and pushing that utilization right at the top, as in your kind of VO2 max. But do you get better at holding a high percentage of your VO2 max? Do you get better at dealing with the lactate, your MLSS, which is your kind of maximal lactate steady state, the ability to have a good amount of lactate kicking around. Um, by the way, the lactate I mentioned now is, is a marker. It's not the lactate, it's the what it's signaling is happening. So you are producing a good amount of power through anaerobic, through non-oxygen pathways. So that's what you're getting used to having that non-oxygen pathways producing power there. The lactate is being, is being produced, as I say, that byproduct. So these things are important, and I think you can then cycle back through that. So once you've done that for a few weeks, you've probably realized the benefits that you might get from that. You can then work back into VO2 max again. So you can alternate between, and it works to take away this idea of you're focusing on specific things, but also means, I think, that you get the best adaptations over the long period. Thank you again for, for listening to this podcast. Um, hope you're enjoying them. If you are, then tell people about them. Give me some comments, things that you want to hear me talk about. Otherwise, it's just me waffling about the things that come into my mind. Thank you very much and goodbye.